0: Well, why did Jesus come into the world? And who did he come for? You know, the story of Jesus' birth is one we're so familiar with that we can easily lose sight of the explosive truths that it's all pointing to. In Luke chapter 2, it presents this story, uh, a surprise announcement really, to the despised and an anticipated gift for those who are waiting. But what does a story involving the despised and the waiting have to do with Jesus' birth? Everything. It's what Christmas is all about. You see, we can find ourselves casually talking about the birth of Jesus. We set up little manger scenes all over the place, and it becomes as common as the plastic Santa Claus in your front yard, the the blow-up snowman. God, the one who has always existed the all-knowing, all-powerful creator. Sally Boy Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible, wonderful children's book, good for adults too, (laughs) she writes this, the God who flung planets into space, and keeps them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Luke 2, it presents this historical event that has changed every person's life in this room, whether you realize it or not. Every person who has ever lived has felt and continues to feel the effects of this event in Luke 2. It's a story told in a plain way, very straightforward way. So let's check it out and move to beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, the, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went out from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea That had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And we'll stop there. Why did Jesus come into the world? Who did he come for? There's two points to the Sunday talk here. First, for the despised. Jesus came for the despised. Second, he came for the waiting. First, the surprise announcement for the despised. For those not even looking for. Last week we read of two birth announcements and there were two songs of praise as well. We read that we, we read of these announcements and these songs of praise and they really set the stage for what was going to happen next. What was going to happen next is what we just read. In Luke 2 it begins with this reminder though of the Roman rule that was present in Jesus' day. just plainly tells us about Augustus Caesar who had come into power and when he came into power he promoted himself. It doesn't say this but we know Uh, from history, he promoted himself as a son of God. And so here in this account, we have the supposed son of God making a mighty decree to number those under his rule, a decree that ironically, and we know sovereignly by God, sends Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy about the true son of God. And so it was customary in the Roman Empire for poets and heralds to declare peace and prosperity at the birth of emperors. Here we have an announcement from heaven. Good news of great joy for all people. And you'd expect this announcement to be made in a palace before a royal court, maybe before Augustus Caesar himself. It's not what it happened. Who did the angels appear before? Shepherds. A group of shepherds. Just taking turns sleeping and watching their sheep. They're not priests. They're not kings. Again, Samuel Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible says about shepherds. In those days, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly and call them rude names. People thought shepherds were nobodies, just scruffy old riffraff. But God must have thought the shepherds were very important. She's honest. You know, this is a preview. This announcement of Jesus' birth to lowly shepherds is a preview of Jesus' ministry. He had come to proclaim good news to the poor, to the despised, to the sick, to the nobody the broken. Low social status? Yeah. Shepherds had a low social status. Were they despised? Pretty much. Were they judged by others? They were. What we learn here is that everyone has value and worth in God's eyes. All people have been created in His image. You are loved. When you hear the announcement, when you read of the announcement to the shepherds, I hope that it just puts in your heart and understand that God has pursued the despised, the lowly. No one is a zero. No one is nothing. Everyone has worth and value. Here these shepherds were. They were just watching their sheep. They were just trying to keep warm in the cool night. They weren't looking for anything supernatural to happen that night. They didn't expect the heavens to break open and for an angel to stand before them. But the last thing they were thinking about. But God did it. He appeared to those who weren't even looking for him. And he, he, he sent this announcement of the turning of a turning point in history, one of the greatest events in history to lowly shepherds. We don't even know their names. And they responded with terror. <laughs> sure they did. Great fear, it says. They were terrified. You would have been too. The angel said to them, I bring you good news good news, it's gospel. We always talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. That's what the word means. Gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ or about Jesus. And the angels are announcing this good news, this gospel of great joy, they say, that will be for not just some people, not just for Israel, not just for you shepherds, but for all people. All people. Today, now, the angel is saying, in the town of David, not far from where we're standing, A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. He is the Christ. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. It's the anointed one, the king, the long-awaited-for king that Israel had been waiting for to bring them out from under the heavy hand of oppression of Rome and to deliver them. The king is here. The king is born. And we're announcing that good news to you. I want us to pause here for a second and consider what the angels are saying. The good news of Christ is bigger than fighting off the oppression of Rome. What Christ came to do is much bigger than that. The good news announced has its roots in the prophet Isaiah's announcement. 700 years before the angels announced, Isaiah the prophet was announcing And the angels give three titles to Jesus. These are very important titles. Savior. What are they saying? God is going to redeem his people through Jesus. Christ. This is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. Anointed one. The king. Your savior, the king. The anointed one. The one you've been waiting for is here. The Lord. You know the one with all authority? He's here. The master. The master. So again, there, there's this turning point in history. The shepherds are told who this child was and is. And what do you do? And they're basically saying in verse 12, okay, you can go see him. Go see him. The sign that, angel's saying, the sign that I'm not messing with you, the sign that I'm not joking around. You can find the baby who be wrapped up and lying in a feeding trough. That's right, a feeding trough. A manger. That's what a manger is. It's a feeding trough. That's where you'll find them. You won't find it in a large home or anything like that. You're going to find it in a simple home, a lot like your own. Peasants' home. In a garden. And suddenly the dark night sky just cracked open with this army of angels, this host of angels praising God. And you know what their song was? Verse 14, glory. Which means honor and praise. Glory to God. And peace to men. Glory to God, peace to men. Glory and honor and praise and majesty and fame belongs to God, and peace, wholeness, healing, reconciliation to men. God a good song. So what did the shepherds do next? Check their email, talk about the weather. No, they hurried off. They hurried off to see this child they heard a startling message, and now they're going to see if it's all truth. And when they found Jesus, it was just as the angel had said. And the shepherds then began to testify to Mary and to Joseph. They were the first to announce the good news. These men, who we don't even know their names, these men who were judged and despised oh, by society, who weren't trusted, who were probably very smelly, crowded into this peasant's home and found this baby. And they testified to the baby's mother and father what they had just witnessed. Good news, gospel. Everyone who heard it was amazed. Mary, it says, treasured these things in her heart. Well, you bet she did. Wow. They leave the scene, verse 20, with praise on their lips and faith growing in their hearts. Everything they had been told by the angels was real, was true. They didn't expect to hear this message. I wonder if, if that's where you're at today. You come and, and you're thinking, okay, it's near Christmas, I'm, I'm going to church. It's <laughs> the right thing to do. And here you're, you're hearing this message of Jesus, and it's a it startling? And like, the, like the, the shepherds, you're wondering, is this really true? I mean, can, can this be for real? Then we see in verses 21 through 24, actually, what Mary and Joseph do after that. Let's read it again. And and at at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called Jesus. Holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord—a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We'll pause there. What are Mary and Joseph doing? This customary. Here, here are these purification laws that are in keeping with the Mosaic law. Jesus grew up in a family that obeyed the law of Moses. Purification of the mother after childbirth and the dedication of the firstborn son. That's what we see happening here. And we see a poor family going to the temple to offer some doves. And that's what they were they were poor. And they were also there to circumcise Jesus and to declare his name. His name. His name was announced before he was born. His name would be Jesus. The Greek is the Jesus equivalent to Yeshua or Joshua in the Hebrew. It means Yahweh, Saves. Yahweh is, we know uh, from Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, when Moses comes upon, upon the burning bush, and, and he uh, God declares to Moses, when, when Moses says, all right, you're, you're sending me back to Egypt, who do I say sent me? He says, I am. He declares to Moses his name, Yahweh. I am. That's what it means. He who is. His name reveals his presence. He is. Yahweh. The God who is. He saves. The Lord saves. That's what name named Jesus. I want you to see in Galatians chapter 4. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. In verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, what's being testified now Many years later, to the church of Galatia, through this letter, the Galatians, he said, listen, at the right time, the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. He sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why to redeem? To save. He came for the despised. We see this surprise announcement to the despised. He also came for the waiting. We see this now anticipated gift for the waiting. Let's pick up the story in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and for glory to your people, Israel. having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. An anticipated gift now for the waiting, for those eagerly looking for him. Well, that's what we find here. When you wait for something for a long time and it doesn't come to pass, you can feel forgotten, right? I wonder if, if Simeon and, and Anna ever felt forgotten. Simeon was preparing to die, most likely an elderly man getting ready to die. Here, Anna, she's, she's up there at age two. She had been dealt a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, only married seven years Widowed. I wonder if they ever felt forgotten by God. But here we we see them, they're waiting. They're waiting. And they refused to let go of the promises of God, that God would provide a redeemer. They refused to let go. They were holding on to what God would do for Israel. Now, Simeon, we're told, is this righteous man. He's he's devout. I, I don't know what his role in the temple is. It's not said. But it does say that he's waiting. He's waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. The idea here is that he's waiting for the hope that God would come and rescue or comfort his people, the nation of Israel. And it's rooted in Isaiah, again, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 60. I encourage you to read those passages. Essentially, Simeon is waiting for God to do what he promised to do through the prophets. He's getting up there in age. But the Spirit of God had told Simeon that he would hold the same. It's been revealed to him. So this hope that Simeon had in his heart, it included forgiveness of sins, it included deliverance from oppressors. It was this messianic age, this age of the Messiah, this age of the coming King. And so the big question in Simeon's heart must have been, God, when? When will you intervene? When will you do something about this brokenness? When will you do something about all of this? When will you bring peace and establish your rule? When? And I love how the Holy Spirit's role stands out in this story. It isn't a mistake. This isn't a chance event or encounter that Simeon has with Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph go to the temple complex to do their thing. And here comes Simeon. And then what is he he takes Jesus in his arms. I want you to imagine how sweet this moment was for Simeon, holding the Lord's Christ. So Simeon, in many ways, represents faithful Israel anticipating, waiting for their Messiah. So how sweet it is for parents after waiting nine months to hold their newborn, and time just stops. The world stands still. You've got your newborn. Nothing else matters. You've been waiting, anticipating. What's he going to look like? Wow, here he is. Simeon, how long has he been waiting? Years. I imagine years. Think of the many years of anticipation and hope. And what does Simeon do when he's holding Jesus? He praises. Look at his praise. Look at this hymn of praise that comes out of his mouth in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in Peace, according to your word. For my eyes, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He's directly pulling out uh, what Isaiah said in Isaiah 49. Uh, Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, always. Always. They failed to do that. But through Israel would come one who would be that. Perfect son, that perfect light. And here Simeon is holding the one who would be a light to the Gentiles, not only to the Jews, not only to Israel, but to the world. This is a worldwide promise. Simeon knew it, he was celebrating it. It's powerful, it's precious. So confirmation is given once again to Mary and Joseph. Remember the the, the shepherds have come, and, and they announced what the angel said, and, and, and Mary's treasuring this in her heart, and, and now they're hearing what Simeon's saying, and this confirmation is just coming to them. But by, it's also coming to us, who Jesus is. The extent of God's deliverance is bigger than many thought. It is worldwide. And in this moment, Simeon knows and he experiences a contentment that puts all the waiting all the other events of his life into perspective. I want you to hear this. When Simeon was holding Jesus, just like when we hold our firstborn, or whatever born, the world stops. It puts everything into perspective. The future looks so different now. Oh my. Here Simeon is, holding the Savior. It put everything else into perspective. Everything else. It brought a contentment. Content that he had an experience. Why? God had, What God had promised, he had kept. The waiting was over. Here was the Savior. Put everything into perspective. You know, the truth of Jesus, it does that. It brings contentment. It puts things into perspective. It has a way of doing that, if we let it. It provides a lens through which we should view life. And for Simeon, it was a lens through which to view the end of his life. And most likely we will walk through that door as well. Does it provide perspective for you in life and in death? Verse 33 through 35, we see that Mary and Joseph are a bit speechless at what Simeon's saying. They marvel. They're still coming to grasp. They're this young couple. Picture Mary and Joseph, like, very young. So young that you think, oh my, can Joseph grow any a beard? I mean, what? <laughs>
1: We've seen a
0: long beard. We just, I don't know. They're speechless. Simeon's praise quickly turns into blessing and then into a prophetic word directed towards Mary. And basically, he's, he's announcing to Mary there are two responses that will happen to Jesus, the falling and the rising. Falling meaning the judgment of the arrogant who refused to bow to Jesus, and the rising meaning salvation of the humble. And Jesus brings everyone to a crossroads. Everyone. You come to a crisis of decision when you encounter the truth of Jesus. Like it or not, you're at a crossroads when you hear the message of Jesus. Will, will you you bow to his, his lordship? Will you bow to his, his loving and gracious rule? Will you uh, recognize who he is and what he's done for you? Or will you turn away the falling and the rising? In Mary, he says, will experience sorrow and pain. Why? Because the salvation Jesus came to accomplish will be accomplished at, at a great cost. Her son's life. Then, as if to hold this exclamation point over the entire scene, we're introduced to a prophetess named Anna, who's very old, had experienced a lot of heartache, as I said before. And here she is, and I, and I, and I, I, was, I was studying this, I'm like, why is Anna here? Wasn't singing enough? Just to uh, just to drive this point home, I believe Anna's there is an exclamation point. Here is a, a woman, 84 years old, a widow, and it's to remind us, I believe, that, that Anna, though she was dealt with uh, some some serious heartache, really tough things in life, it reminds us that God is interested in answering the longings of an 84-year-old widow. It reminds us that though she had been dealt a lot of hard things, that she could have been hard and callous, but instead she's giving thanks to God. It reminds us that. Her life had not been easy. But it reminds us that God had answered her longings. He he had provided redemption. It highlights that Jesus is the answer that she had been waiting for, the Redeemer. So she begins to speak of Jesus to everyone who is in the same predicament of her, who was waiting. Ah, So here we are. We live between two comings. Jesus has come, and he will come again. Jesus, our Redeemer, has come. Promises made by God have been kept. We hold on to those promises. And they fill our hearts with joy and anticipation for what will be. He will come again, and so like Anna, we wait. Why did Jesus come into the world? Now, maybe you weren't even asking that question this morning. It's a question we all need to wrestle with. Maybe you weren't looking for answers but you've encountered the startling message that the angels announced to shepherds. Maybe you've been waiting, longing, and walking through brokenness and suffering and holding on to see salvation and experience comfort you're struggling. I want you to look to Simeon and Anna and the promises that were kept. Those are promises for you. God's surprise announcement to lowly shepherds? Church, it's an announcement to you. God's anticipated gift to Simeon and Anna, it's a gift for you. You are not despised. You're loved. You are not forgotten. He's answered His promises to redeem in Jesus. That's the message of Christmas. How personal are you making this? Lord, when we experience the angst of waiting and feeling forgotten, we're reminded in Jesus that you have not forgotten us. Mm